God is good and all the time. Would you pray with me? God, we are blessed to be here today. and We thank you, Lord, that we have freedom in Christ. Lord, as we sang that, I, I just pictured what it would be like when we are in your presence. And that we fully acknowledge and we fully understand freedom and grace. And Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity right here in this moment to hear from you. It's in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you. you. may be seated this morning. We're glad that you chose to worship with us today. If you are new here, my name is John, and I am blessed to serve as the pastor here. I want to thank you for being here today. I'm going to invite you to find your way uh, to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. We're going to get there in a moment. And as you turn there, I just want to encourage you that next Saturday morning, of course, every Saturday we meet in the sanctuary. We have the sanctuary open for people to just come in and pray, and people kind of just do their own thing, spread out and pray from 7 to 8 a.m. But this next Saturday on the 30th, we're going to open the prayer time up from 7 to 9.30 for maybe some of you that like to sleep a little longer. And then also at 9.30 next Saturday uh, we're going to gather in SC 104, which is in the Family Center, and we are going to uh, go out. We have some new door hangers. We, our goal is in the next few weeks is to get out 5,000 door hangers in our community. And so if you would like to get some exercise with a purpose, then come next this coming Saturday at 930. Of course, we want to have a little extended time of prayer because we want to really pray about next Sunday evening. Next Sunday evening is our Fallapalooza, and there'll be 1,500 to 2,000 people that will be on our campus that night, and what a great opportunity for us to serve our community. And so I want to say thank you to all those that have already signed up to serve, and encourage if you haven't done that, you're, you can just scan that QR code there in the pew in front of you, and you can sign up to serve. I think the biggest area we need more volunteers at this point is just in the connections team, so just to greet people as they come in. And it should be pretty easy for you, all right? So that's going to be next Sunday from 4 uh, to 6. Now, we are in this series entitled Fight for Your Family. And so if you are new and, or maybe you haven't had an opportunity, I think there's still a few books in the foyer that are available for free if you'd like to grab one on your way out. But I want to give you just a quick review uh, in case you haven't been here the last two weeks. And so the first week we talked about the, the title of the message was Be Weird, Okay, can, could you guys on the count of three, could you say be weird with me, all right? Are, are you guys, everybody looking, all right, on the count of three? One, two, three. Be weird. All right, how many of you would acknowledge this morning you already are weird, all right? Okay, so now the reason we want to be weird is because the truth is uh, normal is not, normal's not working. What we see in our culture is we see a, a lot of depression, a lot of debt. I'm not talking about uh, government debt, although we could talk about that, but I'm talking about personal debt, divorce, disengagement from church, disengagement from one another. And so normal's not working. And when we look at Romans chapter 12, we see Paul said, don't be conformed to the image of this world. What he was saying is don't be conformed to culture, the philosophy of the world. Then he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's really this idea that we're, we're going to be pressed into two images. Okay, You're either right now being pressed into the image of culture or you're being pressed into the image of Christ. And really it's your choice. 
You can choose to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's some decisions you're going to have to make. I believe if you don't actively choose to be conformed to the image of Christ, the world, the pressure, culture, it's just going to form you into its image, into its philosophy. And so we want to be weird. Last week we talked about, the title was Pass the Baton, and the reason I have this again is because I didn't finish my message last week. I, first service, I looked up at the clock, I was like, oh my word, I, time is out. And so I had to stop, and so you guys can be thankful for that too, because I had to stop at that same, that same time as well for the second service. But one of the images that I showed last week, I had a lot of people kind of comment on the power of the image, and so I just want to show it to you. When we think about passing the baton, we talk about passing our faith, that when, the, when a man of the house finds and follows Jesus first, that 93% of the time the family will also give their life to Christ. And statistically, it goes way down from there. And so when we think about the importance of us as men leading our homes spiritually. And I had several men last week come up to me and just thank me, uh, somewhat thank me for the challenge, but then also admit like, I needed to hear that. I needed to step up and lead. Um, And so we see culturally that is normal. Again, another reason we want to be weird. But it's not just the American culture where we would see men be passive. The the reality is most every country I've been in, to some degree, some to a, a more a stronger degree, is passivity in men. That's just kind of normal. Why, why do you suppose that is normal? We, we looked at it last week. The first man, Adam, he was passive. Remember in Genesis chapter number three, we read this. It said, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. It was a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit, she ate it. In the last sentence here, she says, she also gave to her husband. And what are the next two words? Say it out loud. With her. She gave to her husband, and where was Adam? So he was present, but he was passive. And don't you see that in our culture today? In most cultures, men are present, maybe, but they're passive. And they're not not leading their home. So we want to engage men, and we want men to be leaders of their home. And and I would say this is an encouragement, ladies, if, if... your husband is not being actively spiritually leading. I'm thankful that James talks about that. And James says because of the faithfulness of a woman and her prayers that oftentimes the men will find and follow Jesus. And so as we think about this, last week we looked at the story of Samuel. And really we kind of looked at the story of Eli. And Eli kind of had this adopted son, Samuel. And as we looked at the story, we, we pointed out three things that we as parents should instill in our kids or teach our kids. And that was first to listen to God's voice, and then we're to obey God's word, and then to submit to God's will. And as we think about this this morning, what we have to acknowledge is as parents, we cannot, we cannot pass what we don't possess. Another way of thinking through that is that lessons are often caught, not taught. Like, don't, you know, the old saying, do as I say, not as I do, that's, that's no good, okay? So we need to not only say the truth, we also ought to live the truth out. And so this morning, uh, maybe you're thinking, well, my kids are already grown, I don't have kids, I'm not married, I don't want kids, you know, I don't know where you're at this morning. 
But I want us then to just kind of, I think all of this application we're going to look at, the text we're going to look at, I think has application for all of us. So I want, to, I want you to, if you're taking notes, to write these two questions down. All right, if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, the notes are on there. You could make some comments in there and make your own notes. Maybe you need to get a pen and write it in your Bible, or maybe you got your phone app and you can put in the notes. Here's the two questions. And so as we walk through this this morning, I want you, not just as a parent, but you as a person, to wrestle with these two questions. The first question is this. Are you completely surrendered to God? If you were going to be really honest with yourself and with God today, are you completely surrendered to God in all aspects of your life? The second question is this. Are you passing your faith to someone? Okay, so this is, again, not just are you passing your faith to your kids. Hopefully you are doing that. But we're talking then uh, when Paul was writing to Timothy, Paul said, uh, he called him his son. He wasn't really his son. It was like a son in the ministry. And he said, he told Timothy, the things that you've, you've heard from me or the things you've learned from me, these things you should entrust to other men who will be able to teach others also. So as a follower of Jesus, that I should have someone in my life that I am actively trying to pass my, I'm trying to disciple them. When we talk about we want to lead people to find and follow Jesus, when you break those words down, what we're talking about find is we're talking about evangelism. I want to tell people about Jesus. When we talk about following Jesus, then we're talking about discipleship, that there's somebody, I should have somebody in my life that I'm actively trying to teach my faith to. Because the, re- the reality is I don't think that I could say that I've run my race well if I haven't prepared someone else to run their race well. All right, so those two questions. Now, when, when Jesus was walking on the earth, the disciples, or the, excuse me, the lawyers, the religious people, they liked to ask him questions, and most of the time the questions was not so that they could actually learn something, it was because they were trying to trap him. And they asked Jesus this question, what's the greatest commandment? And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said you should love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus didn't just make that up on the spot. Now, he could have, but he didn't. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where hopefully you're already there, Jesus was quoting this. And in the context of the audience that Jesus was speaking to would mostly have been Jews, and they would have known this particular passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as the Shema. Most Jewish men would have memorized the Shema, and they would have understand that the responsibility of what we're about to read fell on their shoulders. So let's look at verse number 5. This is where Jesus says and quotes Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay, so there's this understanding here. Verse 5 doesn't say, I hope that you will love the Lord God with our whole, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What does it say? You shall. Like this is a command. You shall. You will. You are going to. And then he follows it up in verse number 6 by saying, these words which I, what's the next word? I command you that it should be on your heart. So that's why we want to ask the question today as a follower of Christ, Am I completely surrendered to God's will? Could I really honestly say, yes, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's keep reading verse number 7. 
So we see this like personal command, love God with all your heart. And then in verse number seven, here's where we see that as parents, or maybe just as a follower of Christ, we're to teach the next generation. Verse number seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You'll bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And what we see in this is this kind of this prevailing thought here is that in your house, in your home, Scripture and the Word of God and the teaching of Scripture and the teaching of the Word of God should permeate your house. This should be the main thing you are teaching. And in fact, it gives us four different times throughout the day in which you should be teaching them. I don't think, and, and I'll have to confess, in my own life, when our kids were young, it wasn't always as intentional as it should be. But look at the four different times. And so I think this is just kind of a practical thing if you still have kids at home to think through. It says, when you sit in your house. And I would say that probably in our culture today, we do less sitting in our house together than ever before in any other time in history. And probably if you're like most families, even when you're sitting in the living room together, watching the big screen, the big TV, probably everyone in the house also has their own phone watching something else or engaging on whatever it might be they're engaging on. Like, I don't think that the TV is a great disciple maker of your kids. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm saying at least at some point when we were all watching the same thing, we could have a conversation about what we're watching. And, and I find this true even for me today. Like, Joy and I'll be sitting there, the TV's on, and I look over and she's on her iPad and I'm on my phone. I'm like, why do we even have the TV on at this point? You know, when we were, uh, when our kids were younger, I'm thankful that my wife had made a decision that she was not going to work a full-time job. And so she stayed home, and she cooked dinner almost every night, and almost every night we had dinner together, and then we rushed out to whatever practice we had to go to. But I'm thankful that, you know, there was a decision to make that. There's, there is consequences or decisions you have to make if you make that decision. Most of our adult life until our kids were old enough to drive, we, we actually only had one car because we couldn't afford two cars because we made a decision that we weren't going to... Are you, are you tracking with me? But maybe you can't do that. I, here's what I want you to think through. How intentional are you being about actually sitting together as a family? If you made some better decisions, maybe if you just made some informed decisions, maybe some intentional decisions, because again, our culture is just going to have you running from one thing to the next. Let me read something for you about this. Over the past 20 years, researchers have confirmed what parents have known for a long time. Sharing a family meal is good for the spirit, the brain, and the health of family members. Recent studies link family dinners with many behaviors that parents pray for, which would be lower rates of substance abuse, lower rates of teenage pregnancy and depression, a higher grade point average, and higher self-esteem. So, could we as families make some decisions to make family time more of a priority? My assumption this morning is that, yeah, you could probably make a few decisions that would put you in a better place to have more time together. So it says when you, when you sit in your house 
And then it says, the next part there in Deuteronomy says, when you walk by the way. Now, if your parents were like my parents, uh, seemingly they walked to school uphill both ways in the snow. You guys got the same story? Okay. Most people might, again, well, let's, let's, let's put this in the context of which it was written. They didn't have cars. Everywhere they went, guess what they did? They walked by the way. Like from point A to point B was walking. So let's think in the, in the context, we probably don't spend a lot of time walking anywhere together as a family. But we, statistics say that the average family spends an hour together in the car every day. To and from school. To and from practices. That, that commute adds up really quick, doesn't it? But I wonder how intentional you are with the time you actually have with your kids. You know, when, when our kids were little, we didn't allow our kids to have headphones on in the car. And I know your kids are going to hate me if you go up and try to do that. But you know why? You know what can't happen with everyone have headphones on? Conversation. It's one of the reasons that at, at church here we, we use... Um, a curriculum called the Gospel Project that every age in the church that goes to Connect Group, they have the same exact lesson. And you know why we do that? We're hoping that when you get in the car this afternoon and head to wherever you're going to go to launch, you can ask your child, what did you learn today? And you know what? You should have learned the same thing. There is time in the day if we're intentional about it. So be intentional when you walk by the way. When you're in the car. Then it has two other things, two other times of the day. It says when you rise up and when you lie down. You know, and again, these are probably short periods of time. Like, you probably fight with your kids just to get them up in the morning is my guess. You know, and you got the cold water or whatever it takes to get them out of bed, right? But is there, if you really think through it, is there a moment in the morning that could be a God moment? Is there a moment in the morning when they get up that, that you, could, you could redeem that time? What about when you lie down? You know, when our kids were little, we always had a routine of we, we went on to either Blake's bed or Blair's bed. It just kind of rotated every other night, and we just had a time of prayer. It wasn't long, but it was intentional, and it was consistent. And sometimes those moments were really good. And sometimes those moments are normal moments with siblings when they don't like each other. You guys know what I'm talking about? But being intentional. I, I put this last night, and I've said this often, and I, I want to maybe bring this in a little bit closer to, to time, specific time, that Saturday evening, or excuse me, a Sunday morning church is a Saturday evening decision. To make plans. You know what my kids never ask me in all the time? Even my son's 24, my daughter's 21. When, you know when they're at the house on Saturday, you know what they've never asked me ever? They've never asked me, are we going to church tomorrow? It, sh- it shouldn't be an option. My, could, my kids shouldn't think it's an option. And I know in our culture today, a prevailing thought, and it's not anything new, I heard it years ago, was, well, I don't want to make my kids go to church because then they're going to hate God. And you know what I say to that philosophy? 
As Jimmy just said, it's nonsense. It's foolishness. Play that theory out in every other important aspect of their life. If you have an 11-year-old boy that you don't make do what he doesn't want to do, you know what you're going to have? A smelly, stinky boy. You probably will anyways, but you know, they, don't, they, they never want to take a shower. What about the five-year-old girl who has the long hair and doesn't want to get her hair brushed through? What about the kid that doesn't even want to put their clothes on and go to school? Are you, are you tracking with me? And yet, the church... What Jesus came to die for. Well, I don't want to make them. Anyways, it got really quiet in here. But Deuteronomy, what did it say? You shall teach them diligently. Nobody's saying parenting's easy. Nobody's saying godly parenting is easy. In fact, I would say that godly parenting is much more difficult than just parenting like the culture does. Because if you're going to godly parent your kids, you are going to have to make some decisions that they can't do what other kids are doing. But I'm here to say it's what God expects of you. So if we're going to pass the baton, I just want to share a few other verses of Scripture with you that kind of point to the responsibility as parents, all right? So Psalm 78, verse 1 through 6. The psalmist says this in verse number 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers, that they should make them known to the children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. And what a responsibility for us as parents to show the generation to come the praises of the Lord. To teach our kids to find and follow Jesus so that they would teach their kids to find and follow Jesus. It's a big responsibility. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6.4, And you fathers, uh, let's just skip the next sentence, okay? I don't like that one. Do not provoke your children to wrath. How many of you dads are really good at annoying your kids? Okay. How many of you have adult kids that you're still really good at annoying? Okay. I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I said it in the first service. And, and uh, when, when, my, when Blair was in middle school, you know, let's just, just be honest that middle school kids are like, you know. And so just having, trying to have a conversation on, the, on the, the trip to the middle school every day is like, oh, my gosh. Who's in the car with me right now? She liked me yesterday. Now, not so much. But what I used to do just to kind of wake her up and really just to annoy her a little bit, that's why I don't like this verse of Scripture, was I would play. I don't even know where I heard this group. I'm not recommending this group unless you want to annoy your middle school daughter. But there's a group called Flogging Molly. Anybody know of Flogging Molly? All right. And if you say Flogging Molly to my daughter, she will have PTSD moment for sure. She may run out of the room. But it's like this... I don't know, Scottish, Irish folk band that plays really loud, really fast. 
and she hates that music. Anyways, I don't know why I'm telling you that, but it does say, do not provoke your children to wrath. What is, look at the next sentence, the next part of the sentence. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So as a parent, I'm to teach diligently to my children when we sit down, when we're on the way, when they rise up, when they lay down, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. God has given me, God has given you, mom and dad, a responsibility to teach your kids to follow Jesus. We looked last week at, I think, a pretty sad verse. It was a commentary on Eli. You remember Eli was the, the priest and the prophet, and he had two boys, Phineas and Ferb. Okay, not Phineas and Ferb, but Hophni and Phineas. I always get them confused. And he had these two boys. And remember what it said in, in 1 Samuel 2.29. It says that God was going to judge Eli, and God was going to judge his two boys because he honored his children more than he honored God. And it was very clear in Scripture that God was going to judge him because he did not raise his kids like God instructed him to raise his kids. And for years, in fact, up until last year, I used to point, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 8. 1 Samuel chapter number 8, it'll be on the screen as well. But I used to look at this verse and think about it one way, and now I feel like God has shown me something else that I hope will be an encouragement to you today. Because what we see in the first two verses of 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says this. So we, we fast forward a few years. Samuel's now the old guy. And Samuel also has two sons. Look what it says in verse number 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. You remember that's what exact same thing that Eli did with his two boys. He made them judges over Israel and they were terrible. They did not follow God. They did crazy things. You can read about it. And, and the reason that God judged them was, for one, for their own sin, but also because Eli, the reason he judged Eli was because Eli did not raise them to know Christ. Verse number two, the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. All right, so up to this point, we got the same story. The priest, Eli, has two bo uh, excuse me, Samuel has two boys. They did the same thing as, as Eli's boys. They became judges. But I wonder if Samuel's boys will do the right thing or not. Because Eli's boys did not. Look at verse number three. But the sons, excuse me, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. And probably if I went back and looked at some of my notes or watched some of the messages that I've preached here, I'm, I'm guessing what I would have said was, it's sad that Samuel failed his boys just like Eli did. And about a year ago, I was looking at this text, and I feel like God gave me a shift on how to think about this. This week I was doing a little more research trying to find out, like trying to think through this. And, and I don't know about you, but 
like being in the, I've, I've been in the church my entire life. And sometimes in the church, um, we have a tendency to be a little judgmental. You shake your head? Especially as church people. A little judgmental. In fact, you know, before I had kids and I was a student pastor, when I was 23, a student pastor, had no kids, I was an awesome parent. Like, I knew everything about parenting. And I may or may not have counseled with students over the years and thought, yeah, their, their parents are, they haven't done a very good job. And I think that that natural tendency for me and for us in church to be a little judgmental and legalistic inferred something on Samuel that actually is not in the text. Because my assumption and my thinking is, like, if you raise your kids to, to listen to God's voice and obey God's word and submit to his will, that they're going to do that. But you know, there's nowhere in Scripture where Samuel is reprimanded for how he raised his kids. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, like it did about Eli, Samuel loved his kids more than he loved God. In, in fact, in the passage we read last week, it says, Samuel never let the words of the Lord fall. And the reason I want to point that out is because I feel like that in the church we have looked at Proverbs 22.6, which is our theme verse for our Hallmark kids. Train up a child in the way he is go, when he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we've taken that verse and we've claimed it as a promise of God. And the reality is the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of principles. And so what happens when we claim Proverbs 22.6 as a promise, not a principle, if we think as a follower of Christ, if I, if I just have my kids in church, and if I just have them in Awana, if I just have them on Wednesday night program, and if, and if I show them how to tithe, and if I, all these things, if I do all the, the checklist with my kids, that it, you know, always, A, B, C, always equals one, two, three. Because God's promised it. And when, 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 that, when life when, when ABC doesn't equal one, two, three. So if we adhere to this thinking that if we just do the right things, we'll always get the right outcome. When it doesn't happen, it leads us to one of two options. As a parent, if I feel like I've been a good steward and I've taught my kids to find and follow Jesus and they choose not to, the outcome of that is going to lead me down one of two paths. One is I'm going, to, I'm going to feel guilt that I didn't do it right. I must have messed up. And you know how many, you know how many parents I've sat with over the years who have tons of guilt because their adult children don't follow Jesus? Well, I thought I did it right. Because God promised. So it's either, you're either going to go down the road of guilt or you're going to go down the road of blame. And guess who you're going to blame? God. 
God, you said, if I train up my child in the way he should go, that when he is old, he will not depart from it. And it's not a promise. In fact, let me, let me show you in 1 Samuel chapter number 12. In 1 Samuel chapter number 12, we're, we're, we're fast forwarding a few years from 1 Samuel chapter 8, where we read that Samuel's boys did not follow the Lord. And again, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Samuel is reprimanded for how he raised his boys. And in fact, I see the opposite here in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Here the setting is, remember the nation of Israel, they're tired of having, not having a king because everyone around them has a king. They want a king. So here Samuel is telling them, okay, you're going to get a king. Look at verse number one. Now Samuel said to all Israel, indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me. I have made a king over you. And now here's the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or who have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe? Which, with which to blind my eyes, I will restore it to you. What, what he's saying is, listen, I'm about to go off the scene before God and all these witnesses. Have I ever stolen from you? Have I ever taken a bribe? Have I ever misused justice? What were the three things that Samuel's boys were accused of? Dishonest gain, they took bribes, they perverted justice. And Samuel asked the question to the nation, before God and all these witnesses, have I ever done that? Verse number four, 1 Samuel 12, and they said, you have not. You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hands. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. In other words, what I see in Scripture is that Samuel did teach his kids to follow the Lord. Not only did he verbally teach them, but from this text in, in 1 Samuel 12, he also modeled it for them. That he lived out a godly life in front of them. That he taught them what it was to know God and to follow God. Here's, here's what I want you to understand this morning. Let's think about it in terms of an actual race. Like, I'm not a runner, never have been, never will be. But I do know that the most important thing in the race, in winning a relay race, is the passing of the baton. And I could be, you know, running my race. I could be doing everything right. There's a time, a designated time that I'm supposed to slow down a little bit. I'm supposed to shorten my stride. There's a time I'm supposed to yell for the next person to go so that they can start their race. And, and the timing has to be perfect. I have to hand out the baton at the exact right time with the exact right hand. I have to place it in their hand. But guess what they have to do? They have to take it. I can do everything to run my race well, and still they not take it. And so for some parents, I want you to know that every kid has to make their own choice. And maybe your, your child or adult child hasn't grabbed this. 
And what you need to understand and what you younger parents who have younger kids need to understand is that that godly parenting, it's not about, it shouldn't be obedient, or excuse me, it shouldn't be outcome focused. It should be obedience focused. In other words, why would I sacrifice schedule, time, money, resources, go against culture to teach my kids to find and follow Jesus? Why would I do that? That's very simple, because God has told me to do that. Parenting is stewardship. God has called me to be obedient, to raise my kids to find and follow Jesus. But I will be held responsible as a parent for how I train my kids. I will not be held responsible for how they turn out. Why do I make sacrifices as a parent? Why is church a priority? Because God wants it to be. God has asked me to do that. So, this morning, let's go back to our two questions we started off with. Are you completely surrendered to God? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, student, young adult, you will never be the person that God has called you to be I'm never going to be the dad that I should be, the husband I should be, the pastor I should be, unless I'm completely surrendered to God. And you can't control what everyone out there does, but you can control what you do. Are you completely surrendered to God? The second question was, are you actively passing your faith to someone? Are you pouring into someone else's life? Are you, are you teaching someone to follow Christ? 